Welcome to KIOS at the Movies. I'm Josh LeBure, and I'm here with Patrick Kinney and Diana Martinez from Filmstreams. Hey there. Hi. And today we're talking The Donut King. Donut time. Very tasty. <laughs> Uncle Ted has a very interesting reputation in our family. What I heard about him was that he had a lot of money and had a lot of donut shops. Dunkin' Donuts found it so hard to break into the L.A. market that in the late 90s, they gave up. They call me Donut King. The Donut King is a new documentary about the rise of a multi-million dollar donut empire built by a Cambodian refugee named Ted Noy. Filmmaker Alice Gu expertly crafts an engrossing tale about how one person can build an empire and raise up a whole community around him, the effects of which are still present today, from the largely Cambodian immigrant-owned donut shops that Uncle Ted helped foster in the late 70s and 80s in Los Angeles to the pink boxes full of donuts nationwide. The Donut King tells a story of success, but it also weaves a cautionary tale of the 80s-style greed-is-good capitalism and how a singular drive and love of money can lead to a downfall. So with that, uh, Patrick, Diana, what are your thoughts? I had a very good time watching The Donut King. I loved this film. Did you love it? (laughs) I did. Okay, then you start. (laughs) I really did, too. I mean, I really liked it. Um, I think think someone says it within the film itself, but I grew up in Southern California, and I think um, when you grow up in Southern California, you kind of just, like, notice these weird, like, racial and ethnic divisions, and you're like, why why does there seem to be a lot of Asian-owned donut shops? And I never knew the the answer to that and this actually like Mm. gives you the origin story for like why there are so many like asian owned donut shops all throughout california um and so it was and for me it was like a part of my childhood um i also distinctly do remember when there were still dunkin donuts in la Mm. and then all of a sudden there weren't and then people try to gaslight me and tell me it was an east coast thing and i was like no i distinctly remember there being a dunkin donuts um and now i know why they left in the yeah, middle right. of the 90s. Um, so yeah, so for me, it really like explained the things about like growing up in Southern California that I didn't, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know the history. So I mm. thought it was really fascinating. That is pretty wild. Like if you grew up wondering that, this is the definitive answer. It is. Like it's because of this person. It's because of this one guy, which is like so also so interesting that mm-hmm. like he's behind like, a conglomerate of donut shops, really. Um, and it's, they're all delicious. It's really, <laughs> well, it's really interesting that it, because it so rarely comes down to like right. a guy. Right. Mm-hmm. It's usually like a bigger story than that. And right. it, is, it is, I mean, you can't discount that all of these people since, you know, you find out in the film what happened, like these, these donut shops still exist and these people are mm-hmm. very hard workers and, you know, you can't discount the work that they did and the, and the taking the risk to come to Los Angeles and build a business. Yeah. But it's really interesting that it all kind of stemmed from this one, like kind of singular force. Right. Mm-hmm. So to like step back a bit, so it's this character lovingly known as Uncle Ted, yeah. who is a Cambodian refugee who was living in Southern California and had the idea to, he saw that donut shops were successful and talked to a donut shop owner and they told him to go work for Winchell's mm-hmm. and yep. learn the donut making process. He did that 
And then he did start by owning some Winchell's locations, right? Yeah, I yeah. think he franchised Winchell's. Mm-hmm. Right. And those because well, he was very... like franchising a Winchell's and yes. had his own yeah. donut shop. And was competing against Winchell's. <laughs> yeah, which nowadays would just not be a thing. It wouldn't be that, allowed. Yeah. yeah. But it's such a uniquely... Maybe he's like... also the reason why there's non-compete agreements. <laughs> right. Yeah, he invented those too, or necessitated them. But it's such like a flag-waving American story because he started making money and then was able to sponsor actual... Like other refugee families who are still in camps in Thailand and places in uh, other places in Southeast Asia, and bring sponsor them to come to America, and then he set them up with donut shops, building what Diana observed as a child, <laughs> which is this and donut empire run yeah. by these uh, largely Cambodian refugee families. Mm-hmm. Making yeah. delicious, delicious Making donuts. Making delicious donuts. Those look so good. <laughs> Which the film is, um, like, is, you know, there are parts when we learn about uh, Uncle Ted's story and the story of, uh, there's a few other kind of, like, family members who are highlighted, and we learn their stories, um, particularly, like, in the camps and their life during the, like, war in Cambodia. Um, so there are segments of this film that are, you know, pretty grim mm-hmm. yeah um but overall like the tone of the film is really celebratory um to all that these people have been able to accomplish and then you know it does start talking about kind of like the ramifications of like dunkin donuts coming back into southern california mm-hmm. and like starbucks selling like donuts and pastries and all this stuff and um but even even with that where i think like you feel the gloom of like these mom and pop shops going under. It is still like a very hopeful story because there's something that they offer um, the community and like really cemented like nostalgia of like people who grew up there that like really does make it seem as though like these shops will survive. So it's also very hopeful. It's very colorful. It has beautiful shots of donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I literally one of my notes is I just is just a donut emoji, because <laughs> I was like, just so many donuts. You right. guys have a favorite donut? Oh, you know I'm not a sweets guy. But you don't have a favorite. Okay, what? But if I told it's you true. right now, like, hey, I have donuts, you'd be like, no thanks. It would depend entirely on what you had. Wow. Whoa. I would eat any donut. I would eat any donut. I mean, I have some you know, specifications in life. But Uh-oh. if they weren't choices that I made... Wheeling it back. Yeah, I'm saying if there weren't, like, dietary choices that I've made oh, in my right, life, right, right. I would 100% eat any donut. But if any vegan donut was near my face, it's going in. Okay. Old-fashioned <laughs> But donut. I like an old-fashioned okay. donut. Yeah. Okay. I will say me and Uncle Ted have the same favorite donut. Apple fritter? No. Or wait, he liked the bear claw, didn't no. he? No, he, he liked just the glazed. Liked, he just liked a glazed donut. Just a glazed. Mm. I love just a glazed donut dipped in some coffee mm-hmm. with some creamer in it and some sugar. Mm. That's all I want. Mm. All right. But otherwise, um, like a maple bar, anything with maple. I love a maple yeah. bar. I think a maple bar is my favorite donut. Okay. Which is yeah. like an old person donut, I think. So is an old, fa- is it called <laughs> old fashioned? No, but I feel like no no young kids like really, really going for that maple bar. Right. Yeah. Kids kids these days like crazy donuts, man. <laughs> yeah, they that's do. true. I'm seeing some of this stuff. I'm on, you know, I'm on the interweb. I see what they're up to. I see the donut. Putting cereal donuts. on it, breakfast you, cereal. Yeah, and this is like something that's so interesting too is like, you know, where I grew up, uh, I grew up in Southeast Texas being a kid and like, 
you know, our, my donut experience was very different. It was this very, very <laughs> old white guy who owned this donut shop, but it was called DK Donuts, which I'm pretty sure oh, wow. some of the LA shops were called DK's Donuts or something there like that. There were multiple mm-hmm. DK yeah. Donuts, yeah. yeah. And so I grew up going to this donut shop and it was like literally like wood paneling on the walls, like dirty floor, sitting in there with my grandpa. It was connected to a gas station. He would be sitting there smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee out of a, <laughs> out of a styrofoam cup. And I would just like devour donut holes. That was like my favorite right. thing. And yeah. yeah. And, and some like chocolate milk. And that was just like, you know, my quintessential like favorite childhood memories hanging out with my grandpa and like mm-hmm. just hearing this whole different world that was kind of happening in in Los Angeles and, and, and these, you know, folks building these, uh, donut shops and, and these small businesses in, in LA and just kind of, kind of all supporting each other was just so interesting. And it's, so, yeah. it was such a kind of a beautiful thing. Well, that's, what's so interesting about like, uh, like what attracts Ted to the donut itself is that he both feels like it's quintessentially American, but also really reminds him of this like Cambodian dessert, which mm-hmm. like looks looks like a donut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also gets into like at the end of the film when they talk about like nostalgia mm. and the kind of devotion different communities have to their local donut shops, but also this like generational investment that donut shops have to make of like do the kids of these people who were Cambodian refugees, like now they're able to go to college and they have business degrees. Like, do they want to run a donut shop? Like, do they have the same emotional investment in the donut shops as like the people who grew up going to them or the owners themselves, right? Or the refugees who see this as like the thing that saved their lives, basically. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, you talk to somebody who was... An edu- was he a doctor in Cambodia? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. as a immigrant in America, he was excited or lo- looking for work like cleaning houses. Yeah. So it was such an opportunity. It was such a tool for like freedom and improvement. Uh, should we talk about the 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 down the downfall the downfall? As with any yeah. story about a king, yeah. there is a downfall. Yeah. And uh, it was just so American. It was just yeah. so American in 1980s, yeah. like Las Vegas came calling for Uncle Ted. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there I, was like a big thing where he was getting very involved with the Republican Party. It was kind of the Reagan era. He was like very much loved Reagan. There's all these like, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not imagining footage where he was hanging out with Reagan or photos with Reagan, right? I'm not imagining that. Or was it with Bush Senior? I don't remember. I think I think with both. Yeah, actually. I'm pretty sure with both. So he yeah. was like very a big donor in the Republican Party and like very involved and and there's even this scene where he's just like, I love money. Like I just <laughs> loved money. Yeah, you know. And I think at some point they tell us figures, and he's I don't know making like seven hundred thousand dollars a month off yeah. of all his franchise. So like. There is money in donuts. Yeah, and he had like a lake house with horses. He was living; they were living high. Mm-hmm. And they also like even during that time though, there was always this kind of like there was this like competing ideology where they would have like thirty people staying at their mansion. You know, like mm-hmm. these huge families. Like I don't remember if it was thirty people, but they had these. He had these stories about all these people staying at their mansion and like filling himself you know, up with like community and, and filling his life with community and like fellow immigrants and refugees. 
and at the same time, like falling in love with this kind of in individualistic, like money driven culture. And at some point those two competing things like, you know, came to a head and he got very addicted to money and, and getting more and more and, and started neglecting the community and his businesses and, and got really obsessed with gambling and it, be, it became an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. He had to basically get rid of all of his assets, i.e. the, the donut shops in order to pay his debts that he, uh, quickly accrued. I guess it, it's not clear how quickly it happened. Yeah, I think uh, that that was the one weak point of the film for me is like, I didn't really grasp. It just seemed like they glossed over that part so quickly. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden his youngest son was like old enough to like be driving them around. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's, yeah. Uh, it, time was a little strange in it. Yes, yeah. that's true. I mean, you know, this filmmaker should have just had some Frederick Weissman uh, confidence and just (laughs) (laughs) give it some air (laughs) just let let it breathe no that that was the one weak point i did feel like it was like you know this story and the story and then there was like little hints of like maybe there's cracks you know happening Mm -hmm. when he started getting involved with like getting obsessed with kind of american capitalism and and that culture of the 80s and stuff and then all of a sudden it was like and then he was gambling a bunch and lost everything and we're like wait what because that happened so quickly yeah. But maybe that's how it felt in life, too. I don't know. But in any event, we know that Uncle Ted now lives back in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His family, and then the many, many, many families that he sponsored to be to come over are still in L.A., though. Mm-hmm. So that legacy lives on. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to, that I really thought was interesting, is that so many of the things that he built or came up with ideas for or did out of necessity or things that are just iconic now, like specifically like the pink box. Which is cheaper than a white box. Yeah, which I had no idea. I would have figured a white box was cheaper, but no, it's cheaper to have a pink box. So they put all their donuts in It was at the time. It was at the time. I wonder now if it's a premium. Like, you gotta have the pink box. Oh yeah, Um, but that's so interesting Mm -hmm. because- But even taking control of the manufacturing of the pink boxes, because supposedly there was only one place that sold everything to everyone. So they're like, oh, we need a Cambodian owned supplier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then someone started supplying all the pink boxes. It's really interesting too, because you know that there's always these big, I mean, we know with like, um, so I come from the grocery business, right? And mm-hmm. there's like main distributors that most grocery stores use. Mm-hmm. Um, the giant chains have their own, you know, but then you like wonder like, you know, where do all these Asian markets get their stuff from? And it's, it's a very similar story, you know, it's like, or like a lot of the Mexican grocery stores and stuff like that, they all have their own dis- like distributors where they import things. And, and there's all these like, you know, um, these markets happening, you know, mm-hmm. outside of like, you know, what's considered like, you know, mainstream or whatever. And yeah. I think that that's really cool to see when, how those things get built, mm-hmm. you know, like having a, supplier for the Cambodian donut shops. Like, let's have our yeah. own distributor. We'll have our own warehouses because, you know, we'll yeah. give ourselves priority. Mm-hmm. And like maybe the Asian grocery stores, you know, they have like a distributor that's like, we're going to import all this stuff from Japan and from, you know, China and from all these different Asian countries. And then we're going to distribute it to all these different like small, you know, um, you know, Asian markets mm-hmm. around the country, you know, mm-hmm. and that's cool to see. How that happens and Truly. that's what i really liked about this movie <laughs> <laughs> it's because it it like shows you these like other 
other networks, mm-hmm. right? That become right. mainstream that yeah. I think is like really like really interesting. Um, and that donuts are mainstream in LA and Cambodian well, everywhere. Cambodian well, owned everywhere. Well, of yeah. course, but no, but com- yeah, Cambodian so. owned donut shops yeah. are mainstream right. in LA. But also like LA is like has more donut shops than anywhere else per capita. Right. Yeah. And a large majority of those are Cambodian owned. Mm-hmm. Still. It's pretty amazing. Shout out to Donut Stop, the beloved late uh, all night donut spot in uh, on South 13th Street. Oh, I wanted to shout out um, one car- like one person in Ted's life too that I thought was really cool was uh, Chong Lee. And she was the one that owned DK Donut. Oh, yeah. I just yeah, yeah. really liked the her. woman whose daughter at the end is yeah. like doing the social media I stuff. I just liked her. She yeah, was I just like cool. her too. <laughs> and I think she deserved a special shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but she was one of the people who yeah. really felt the after effects of um, Uncle Ted's gambling, right? Mm-hmm. Like they all did. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because their businesses were tied to his business. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they were just as affected and, and upset by what was happening. But, you know, they forgave him because he did so much for them. Right. Yeah. The amount of uh, kind of forgiveness that everybody had for him and the genuine love they had for this person. Yeah. And and then, you know, you get some really satisfying scenes at the end where he comes and visits a lot Mm -hmm. of the... Yes, it's a redemptive story. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's this, like, mythical figure at some point where, like, all the younger kids who you know, whose parents own the shops are like, I've heard so much about uncle Ted. Like I've never met him. I want to know who this <laughs> man is. Right. Yeah. It's really, it's really good. Um, so with that, what films do you recommend people watch with the donut King? So I thought it would pair well with a 2014 documentary called don't think I've forgotten Cambodia's lost rock and roll which is uh, another interesting lens, I think, into the Cambodian genocide in the Khmer Rouge, uh, which the Donut King was. If you don't know much about that, you will learn about it in, in the Donut King. And I think, uh, don't think I've forgotten, it goes into it in much more detail, uh, but it's a documentary about the extremely strong uh, rock and roll scene that was in Cambodia before the Khmer Rouge took over. Uh, which has become a, it, it's, that music is extremely collectible to vinyl record collectors and, and people who like that sort of stuff. So that's the one I'd recommend. Hmm. Uh, my recommendation is a 2020 film uh, called LA Originals, um, which is following Estevan Oriol uh, and Mark Machado, who goes by the alias Mr. Cartoon. And so they're tattoo and graffiti artists um, in L.A. who really, like, mainstreamed, um, like, low-rider culture and, like, Latino culture to hip-hop artists. So, like, every major hip-hop and pop artist will probably have some kind of tattoo um, by them. We'll have used cover artwork by them. Um, You know, a lot of the I Love L.A. imagery was designed by Estevan. And so this is another movie kind of about... Um, how this subculture infiltrated mainstream and now so much of the identity of Los Angeles is like imbricated with um, imagery that these uh, two guys created and a whole a whole hip-hop culture. And I, I saw the movie this year. It's on Netflix. It's good. 
you want to know more about uh, Los Angeles, you should watch it. I want to watch that. Yeah, that sounds good. My recommendation is the 2009 documentary, The Man Who Would Be Polka King. And it's about a Polish immigrant who came to the United States. And in a lot of ways, he's the complete opposite of Uncle Ted, although they had very similar trajectories. But whereas Uncle Ted maybe had some addiction issues and maybe was at his heart a very good person um, and made a lot of mistakes, uh, this guy was just super sketchy and started this pyramid scheme to keep his polka business. And it's like this story of someone who who really went above, like he had that singular mindset, but he just did anything he could to get there and ended up starting this Ponzi scheme and like, yeah, question. Joking. Is this a documentary or is this a feature? This is, so I'll get to that. Because then they remade a movie with Netflix with... I saw that. <laughs> with, with Jack Black. Um, I did not Just called that. The Polka King. It's good. It's really what? good. It's really good. Yeah, he does sort of Ponzi scheme to keep yeah. doing his polka. <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of like the opposite of... And that's why I thought it'd be interesting mm. to, to recommend that one. Because it's kind of like... Uncle Ted is a redemptive story, and the Polka King, not so much. And the documentary, The Man Who Would Be Polka King, you know, it gets into a little more, like, less of the funny area of this man, because, you know, the polka music, the a lot of his personality is very flamboyant and, and kind of strange, you know? And then, so there's some immediate comedy there which in the polka king with jack black is like really really well done um but in the documentary does get a little bit more about the victims and and how you know he basically took older people's like life savings you know always thinking he was going to be a celebrity you know the donut king is available on film streams at home for kios i'm joshua labure for film streams i'm patrick kinney and for film streams, I'm Diana Martinez.